Hello, welcome to my podcast. This is Paper Sun, Chinese American citizen, and this is episode four. episode, I talked about the decade and a half after the American Civil War and how the country saw further expansion of the American West as well as an expansion of her problems. This period of time was the sweet spot for the developing policy and attitude toward immigration, particularly with regard to to the Chinese. By 1880, somewhere around 100 to 125,000 Chinese lived in the United States. The vast majority of them in the American West. They were employed in nearly every profession. Some three-fourths of the Chinese in California were farm laborers. Many of them either worked for low wages or as coolies or as indentured servants. Whatever they were employed as, the Chinese were blamed for nearly every labor or economic woe that existed at that time. Threats and reprisals were becoming more regular Escalating violence became a serious concern. More federal involvement was the clarion call. In 1879, former United States President Ulysses S. Grant traveled to China. One of his purposes was to set the stage for a change in American relations with China. Also in 1879, Congress passed the 15-passenger bill. Anti-Chinese advocates saw the legislation as salvation. That measure, if it became law, would restrict to 15 the maximum number of Chinese passengers that were allowed on any ship that landed in the United States. The proposed legislation also carried criminal fines and incarceration to any boat captain violating its provisions. The passenger bill was supported by both political parties in the West, In Congress, however, the bill's support was divided. 
While the Democrats were nearly unanimous in their support, the Republicans were divided. Moreover, those in disfavor of the legislation pointed out that it violated the United States treaty commitments to China that were expressed in the Burlingame Treaty. A divided Congress passed the measure anyway. It was sent to President Rutherford B. Hayes for approval. He vetoed the bill. In his veto message, he stated he supported American workers' rights and their desire to see the passenger bill passed. He also acknowledged the, quote, pernicious invasion unquote, of the Chinese. His veto, however, was because the proposed legislation offended the United States treaty commitments, as I said, as they were expressed in the Burlingame Treaty. President Hayes expressed his preferred approach, which was to seek approval from the Chinese government for the restrictions set forth in the 15-passenger bill. So in 1880, he sent University of Michigan President James Angle, or Angel, to China for negotiations for a new treaty. At that time, China was deeply involved in troubles with Japan and in Manchuria. China may have well have believed it was in her interests to play nice with America and gain an ally. China agreed, or should we say acquiesced, to most of Angle's demands. In April of 1880, the United States Senate ratified the new treaty. The Angle Treaty essentially reversed the open-door policy or the tone that was set forth in the Burlingame Treaty. Make no mistake, the Yanggao Treaty with China was a turning point in the United States' relations with China. The new treaty granted the United States the right to regulate, limit, and suspend migrants coming to America with some exceptions. The treaty paved the way for the soon-to-be-passed Exclusion Act. The new treaty, however, prevented Congress from absolutely prohibiting all immigration from China and any limitation or suspension of immigration into the United States had to be reasonable and could only apply to laborers. Congress wasted little time and introduced a bevy of bills regarding Chinese immigration. One bill, notably, got through. The nameless, innocuous-sounding Senate Bill 71 proposed suspending Chinese laborers from entering into the United States for 20 years. In an attempt to maneuver around and seemingly avoid violating the recently approved treaty, 
the bill grandfathered in those Chinese laborers already in the United States. Senate Bill 71 also contained more requirements and prohibitions. One of these required Chinese immigrants to carry a passport at the peril of criminal penalties and deportation or failing to do so. Perhaps the most deleterious, the bill prohibited naturalization or citizenship of Chinese persons. Senate Bill 71 received the same political debate in Congress between the proponents and the antagonist of the Chinese immigration issue. A divided Congress approved the legislation and sent it to the president for final approval. But President, then President, Chester Arthur, remember he succeeded the assassinated James Garfield, vetoed the bill. President Arthur sided with the Eastern big money interests. The president argued the legislation would drive away Asian nations from doing any business with America. He also believed the law's restrictions violated at least the spirit of the Angal Treaty because of the 20-year length and, he argued, the, tr- the proposed bill offended United States democratic principles. Chester Arthur's veto created a national outcry with threats of violence. His effigy was hanged and burned in some western towns. His Republican colleagues began to worry about the political consequences of his veto and the upcoming federal elections. Some even predicted that the veto would ruin the president's political career. Outright opposition to some form of restriction of Chinese immigration was becoming politically untenable. A new bill was offered. It was a watered-down version of Senate Bill 71. The new bill halved the restrictions to 10 years. It also eliminated the requirements of registration in passports. With heavy trade union pressure, the new revised bill passed Congress in May of the year 1882. President Arthur immediately signed it into law. Also noteworthy, Congress at the same time, right after the exclusion bill was signed, passed the first Federal Immigration Act. That law applied to all aliens and it was designed to nationally regulate European immigrants. The name of the revised act that replaced Senate Bill 71 was called, harmlessly enough, quote, an act to execute certain treaty stipulations relating to China, end of quote. Of course, its more common name was and is the Chinese Restriction or Exclusion Act. 
the Restriction Act was crafted to be narrow in scope and titled deliberately to minimize the potential it would violate the United States treaty promises to China. The new law prohibited Chinese laborers, both skilled and unskilled, from entering the United States and also would include those that were engaged in mining. The law was effective for 10 years. Students, non-laborers, travelers, diplomats, teachers, and merchants were exempt from the new legislation. The act criminalized anyone knowingly transporting Chinese in any vessel that was bound for America. And just like its predecessor, Senate Bill 71, Chinese were ineligible for American citizenship. The earlier Page Act and the 15 Passenger Bill and the Ango Treaty paved the way for the Exclusion Act. The Chinese Exclusion Act was the first and only time Congress comprehensively barred a specific ethnic group. The Naturalization Act of 1790 was narrow in scope. It limited citizenship to only free white men. The Page Act prohibited Asian women from entering America. The 15 Passenger Bill limited the number of Chinese allowed on a ship coming to the United States. The Exclusion Act, or the Restriction Act, was more comprehensive. Many hoped the new law would discourage the Chinese from coming to the United States. There were also many people that doubted the new law would be effective. Whatever may have been the opinions of that day, the legislation began a new era and precedent of national immigration control. For the Chinese, the new era was described as a new period of terror. The lack of a good political or national consensus over the exclusion of Chinese probably contributed to the uncertainty as America entered into a period of experimentation over immigrants. Nevertheless, the national fervor created by the new law stoked anti-Chinese sentiment and bred violence. Over 150 American communities would force their Chinese residents to leave. America's early attempts and efforts toward immigration policy was a patchwork, sclerotic affair. The opening of the American West created enormous benefits to her, but also created enormous liabilities and risks, too. Probably most of those benefits, liabilities, and risks were unforeseen by the persons that created, or originally created, the United States. If they had foreseen much of the patchwork sclerotic history of early American immigration, 
maybe it would have been avoided. We can only postulate that the schism in immigration policy between the East Coast Seward elites and the parochial-minded nationalists would not have occurred if early American policies, early American immigration policies, had been clear. The rift certainly impacted American immigration policy of the mid-19th century. The Chinese Exclusion Act, and to a lesser extent, its sister act, the 1882 Immigration Act, for sure established the federal government going all in. I will greatly expand this discussion on the Exclusion Act. But for those that argue or believe that once government gets involved, that it will never leave, the the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Immigration Act would prove that belief correct. It is also true that immigration law largely reflects the views at the time of the creation of the law. But, but, it is important to also keep in mind that despite the uncertainty of early American immigration mishmash, racist motivations, exploitation, contradictions, and violence, the Chinese were still willing to come to America. That desire will be quite obvious as I get further along into my discussion. It is therefore too easy to criticize America and its people at that time for their attitudes and actions toward the Chinese. The Chinese accepted it. Thank you for listening. <laughs>